Today, let me invite your attention to John chapter 6. We're talking about a boy's lunch. Jesus is going to borrow this little boy's lunch. He's going to use it to do great things. So John chapter 6. But as I think about this story, I love to ask kids questions. For example, to say to kids, when you grow up, what do you want to be and what do you want to do in life? Here's common answers that kids are going to say, I want to grow up and be a doctor. I want to grow up and be a race car driver. I want to grow up and be president of the United States. Even had one child one time say, I want to grow up and develop a cure for cancer. But as I ask kids those questions, I've never had a child come back and say, my desire in life is to live in my parents' basement for the rest of my life. No one ever says that. But here's what I've noticed in life for all of us. The older we get, the more our dreams have a way of changing. And here's what I mean. People put lids on us. They look at our lives and they say, you'll never be able to do that. You'll never be able to be that. And someone said here recently, the older you get, two things seem to happen. Number one, you forget things. And then number two, I can't remember exactly what it was. But but as you and I think about John chapter 6, Jesus is going to borrow this boy's lunch. And he's going to do something that this boy never dreamt would be possible. And Jesus is going to use what this boy had to minister to thousands upon thousands of people. So John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, I encourage you to find your place in God's word. And let me read the Bible for us today. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each one of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. It was a Saturday morning. Angel and I were at home, had a pretty busy day, but we got a phone call from our family and said, we're having a family get-together at Angie's uncle's lake house. We'd love if you all have time to come and have lunch with us. Angie and I talked about it, thought about the schedule, Sunday was coming, but we needed a break. And we said, well, let's go down and have lunch with the family at the lake house. So we get in the car and we're driving south. And on the way, Angie and I are having this conversation. And here's the conversation. When we gather as a family today to eat, is anyone going to return thanks for the food? And that was a legitimate question. And then, interesting, it moved from there to say, I wonder if they're going to ask me to return thanks today at the family gathering. And so we get to the lake house, and we're standing around in the house, and then finally Angie's aunt asks everyone to go outside on the deck, and she's going to say a few words. And so I'm just wondering again, is anybody going to return thanks, or are they going to ask me to do that? So we're standing out on the deck, 
of her uncle's lake house and her aunt gathers the family around and her aunt says this i just want to spend a few moments saying some things that that are on my heart and she said i don't ever want us to take family times like this for granted family is important and i thought that's a good word i i didn't anticipate that i appreciate that and then she said this she said i also want you to have peace with christ and i thought i didn't see that coming at all And then she talked about having the assurance of going to heaven and how she had peace with Christ and how she knew that she was going to go to heaven. And then she turned to me and I was standing over to the side and she said, as you all know, Ronnie is a pastor and a preacher and he's going to tell you and share with you how you can have peace with Christ and how you can know that you're going to go to heaven. Well, I passed out at that time. I'm just kidding, not really. But but again, you see how God worked on the way down. I was just wondering, is anybody going to return thanks? Are they going to ask me to return thanks for the food? And then all of a sudden, I'm standing there with family members on this deck with an opportunity to share Christ and how to have peace with him and how to have the assurance that you're going to heaven. Well, in that moment, be ready in season and out of season. Standing on that deck, I shared how Jesus left heaven and came to this earth, how he lived a perfect, sinless life, how we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, how he died on an old rugged cross, buried in a tomb, and raised from the dead on the third day. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ is alive. And I just ask family members to say, if you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ today, I would love to pray with you so you can trust Christ, have peace with him, have the assurance that you're going to go to heaven. And this family member said, I want to. This family member said, I want to. This family member said, I want to. I led many of those family members on that Saturday to Christ. I was wondering who was going to pray. And God had another plan in mind that family members would turn from their sin and trust Christ. In John chapter 6, we're going to see him do something that no one imagined he was going to do. The question of John chapter 6 is, is it relevant to our lives? And I would say today it is relevant because here's why. There are many of you who are watching right now. You are facing a difficult situation in your life. And here's the question. You simply do not know what to do. You're facing a major obstacle in your life and you don't know what to do. You're facing a series of adversities and you don't know what to do. In John chapter 6, Jesus and his disciples, the disciples were facing this massive need in the lives of thousands of people, and they simply did not know what to do. It was a difficult situation for them, but Jesus was going to move in their midst. John 6 is very, very relevant to you and me. All four gospel writers talk about the story, the feeding of the 5,000. The focus of the conversation in this story is on the Lord Jesus, because here's what Jesus has been doing. He has been performing miracles he has been healing people who had diseases and illnesses in life he's been making religious leaders uncomfortable the focus is on jesus but when we look at john chapter 6 we're going to find a series of questions that i want to ask you that are relevant to you and me that come out of the text but relate to your life and my life for example here's a question am i expected to give all to jesus in my life Uh, It's a great question. Is Jesus able to use me in life? And are we experts at giving excuses why something will not work in the Christian life? And is there an age limit to being used of God in life? To get a driver's license, to vote, to rent a car, you've got to be a certain age. But is there an age limit to being used of Jesus in life? Do you see Jesus changing the lives of other people around us? But also, do we see Jesus changing our lives? 
And those questions are relevant right out of John chapter 6. So taking good notes, I want to invite your attention to some truths here that are going to relate to you and me. Number one, improve your personal relationship with God. If I ask you today about, you say, you want to improve your grades in school, how do you do that? What would you say? I would give you some advice. If you want to improve your grades in school, you listen well in school, in class, you take good notes, and you study hard. Your, relate, your, your grades in school are going to improve. If I ask you today about how you can improve your marriage relationship, uh, what would you say? Because many marriages are struggling. They're growing apart. You say our marriage relationship needs to be improved. How do you do that? And I would say to you, if you'll communicate well, if you'll meet each other's needs in the context of marriage, and if you'll spend time together, you're going to see your marriage relationship improved. I would even go so far to say that in your marriage relationship, if you will speak these 15 words to each other on a regular basis, you will see your marriage relationship improve. Here are the 15 words. I love you. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me pray for me if you'll speak those 15 words in your marriage relationship i promise you your relationship is going to improve now as we think about this text in john 6 how does our relationship with god improve what what needs to happen so our relationship with him will be all that he wants it to be and i want to give you these two insights Uh, number one learn how jesus balanced life we see in this text after this what does it mean after this understand the context something came before this the disciples had preached one of their first sermons and so it's not always easy to do that but they had preached their first sermon i'll never forget the first sermon i preached april 23rd 1989 i preached on a sunday night from isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8 i'll never forget that experience But also after this, and meaning before this, here's what we see. We see that crowds of people were following Jesus. You have to understand, they were following him, not simply to be devoted to him. They were following him because they were curious. They were following him because they wanted to see a show. But we also know, we see in John chapter 6, that the Passover was near. And you have to realize this was a festive occasion. The city of Jerusalem would have been filled with people. Streets would have been lined with people. And it was not always spiritual about the Passover either for the people. But we see this now after this, after those things, then the feeding of the 5,000 is going to take place. But look again, learn how Jesus balanced life. Now it says in this text that Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down with his disciples. Again, he saw this growing, uh, this crowd of people following him, but he goes up on the mountainside. He sits down with his disciples and going to spend time with them. Jesus knew how to balance life. One of the things you'll notice in the Bible and the New Testament, you never see Jesus in a hurry in his life. I mean, there's a lot of people after him, following him, asking him questions, wanting to touch him. But you never, never see him in a hurry. He knew how to balance life. What did he do? We know in different passages from Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 6, we know that Jesus would get up early in the morning, go to a solitary place, and there he would pray. We know that he would go to a mountainside and he would pray literally all night. Jesus knew how to balance life because he spent intimate time with the Heavenly Father. He also balanced life by spending time with his disciples, people whom he had called and surrendered all, and they were following him. But also he knew how to relate with massive numbers of people, crowds of people. Jesus knew how to balance life, time with the Father, time with his disciples, and time with this massive crowd of people. I wonder today how many of us would look at life and say, life just seems out of balance for us. 
We never have enough time. Stress is off the chart. We never seem to get everything done. The to-do list always has more on it than we can get checked off. How do we balance life? I just encourage you, study the life of the Lord Jesus. Make sure you're spending intimate time with Almighty God. Make sure you're relating with family and friends and people who are close to you. Also make sure you know how to relate with crowds of people because we're going to be around massive numbers of people. If you're going to balance life, make sure again, intimacy with the Father, time with trusted people, but also relate with people who are crowds of people in your life. That's how you're going to balance. Study the life of Jesus and live like he did. Well, look at the second thing I would say here is develop an approach that works. If you're going to improve your relationship with God, then you need to develop an approach that's going to work. And if you improve your relationship with him, what are the benefits? And, and here's some of those benefits. It's going to improve your intimacy with God. It's also going to help you relate to other people well in life. But also you're going to discover God's purpose and meaning in your life. So, so if you'll improve your relationship with God, those things are going to happen. So over the next number of minutes here, I want to give you some practical insights about how to improve your relationship with God. I practice these in my life. They're very, very spiritually beneficial to me, and I believe they'll be helpful to you in life too. Number one is adopt a plan. When, when you get along with God, what are you going to do? And I just encourage you, when you make it a priority to spend time with him, come to him with a Bible. Come to him with a piece of paper and a pen, electronic device, maybe. Be careful about that, though, because you don't want to be alone with God and you're checking email and sending text messages and surfing the Internet. You don't want to do that. But, but an electronic device, if you're seeking to take notes, also have some music around you. Also some Bible study aids, because when you're around and alone with God, you want to make sure you're hearing the voice of God in your life. But also you want to write down what God is speaking into your life and teaching you. So when you get along with God and you adopt a plan, you're saying, God, I want to hear from you. So I'm going to read the word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to listen to music. I'm going to write down what you're teaching me and saying into my life. Just adopt a plan. Second thing I would say here is you secure a place. You want to have a place where you and God spend time together. And I just encourage you can spend time with God anywhere I know, but in your house, make sure you find a place where you and God can spend time together in the mornings, midday, late at night, whenever it is. Find a place that you and God relate to each other. Every place Angie and I have ever lived and we just moved into a new house. One of the things that I pray and one of the things I search for and ultimately find is a place in that house where God and I spend time together. And I know this, that I walk by that place and it is extremely special to me. I walk by that place and it becomes a sacred space for me because I look at that place and say, God, at 5 a.m. in the mornings, this is where you and I spend time together and I listen to your voice and you speak into my life and I grow in my relationship to you. I just encourage you, find and secure a place where you and God spend time together. And then number three, find a time. It's evident from Scripture that in Mark chapter 1, Jesus was an early morning person. I just encourage you, find a time in your life where you and the Lord are going to spend time together. Could be in the mornings, could be at midday, could be late at night. But here's a challenge I would give to you. Make sure whatever that time is, you're giving the Lord Jesus the best time of your day. 
Don't give him what's left over and what you don't need after you spend everything else. Give him the best time of your day. And so if that's in the mornings, midday, at night, give him the best time. And I promise you this as well, that if you'll have a plan, you'll have a place, and you'll give him the best time of your day, you're going to see your relationship with the Lord Jesus improve. Jesus knew how to balance life, and he wants us to live balanced. And here he is sitting down with his disciples, and ministry is on the verge of taking place. Number two, allowed God to show his glory. You say, what do you mean by that? Dr. Tony Evans, wonderful preacher, says, what does it mean to show God glory? Anything that we do that makes God look good is glorifying to him. And so when you look here in John chapter 6, I want to give you these two insights here. Uh, number one is stay aware of people's needs. We see in this text, again, Jesus sitting down with his disciples on this mountainside. And so he sits down. The Passover feast was, of the Jews was at hand. Jesus noticed the text, lifting up his eyes, then in seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. Jesus lifted up his eyes as he seated there with his disciples. He sees this massive crowd of people. They're coming toward him. And Jesus knows this. He sees the crowd. He knows that they have needs in life. And, and as Matthew says, he had compassion on this massive number of people. And, and so you've got to stay aware of people's needs. And so Jesus, he, he looked up, he saw the crowd, he knew they had needs, and he had compassion on them. I want to ask you as you live your life and you lift up your eyes, do you see the needs of people before you? Or is your life inward focused? You only see your needs and you miss the needs of other people. When Jesus saw this massive crowd, understand this, he did not see them as a problem. He saw this as a ministry opportunity. The disciples, on the other hand, had a different perspective. Let's go back to Mark chapter 6 for a moment. In Mark chapter 6, we see Mark talking about the feeding of the 5,000. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Understand the disciples. They did not see the needs. They didn't have compassion on the people. They saw themselves and they said, Jesus, it is late. Send the people away. They were inward focused. In our staff meeting on Monday, we had a discussion about 12 signs of inwardly focused churches because the gravitational pull in church life and in the Christian life is inward, not outward. But in John chapter 6, Jesus, lifting up his eyes, he sees this massive crowd of people. He knows what their needs are, and he had compassion on them. Do you and I see people the way Jesus sees people? And here's what I know. If you'll lift up your eyes... You're going to see people with physical needs. There are serious physical needs all around us in the lives of people. And do we see the people? You're, you're going to realize there are relational needs around us. You're going to see people with strained relationships, marriages that are growing apart, families that are dysfunctional. They're all around us. But do we see the relational needs in the lives of people? You're going to see emotional needs if you'll lift up your eyes. You're going to see people in life who are angry. You're going to see people in life who are depressed. You're going to see people in life who are battling anxiety. You're going to see emotional needs all around us if we'll lift up our eyes and see people as Jesus sees them. Uh, you're going to see people with vocational needs. 
Their stress level at work is off the chart. They feel like they're in a dead-end job. It's got to get better than this. Vocationally, their lives are a mess. Do you see those people around you? You're going to see people with financial needs. They are buried in debt. They don't know how they're going to pay their bills. How can we ever get ahead financially? Those needs are all around you and me. And then you're going to see people with spiritual needs. They are lost without Jesus Christ. They're living outside of the will of God. They have questions that are not getting answers for they don't know the meaning and purpose of life they are all around you and me but i ask you again jesus lifted up his eyes he saw the crowd he knew their needs he had compassion on them i ask you are you lifting up your eyes do you see the people around you do you know what their needs are and then do you have compassion on them And if if God's going to show his glory, then we've got to be aware of people's needs. Jesus was aware. Look at number two, to commit to live by faith. We know this from the word of God. We, We know that we're to live by faith and not by sight. We know in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we're to live by faith and not by sight. In John chapter 6, Jesus, again, seeing this massive crowd of people, he knows their needs. He had compassion on them. Then he's going to ask a question. And he said to Philip, one of his disciples, where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? Jesus asked Philip a legitimate question. But interesting, Philip never answered the question. Jesus was saying in language we would understand, are you going to go down to Public, Kroger, Walmart? Where are you going to go and buy bread for these people to eat? Philip answered him and said, Lord, we don't have enough money for these people to eat. And if if we could buy some, they would only have a bite or so. We're not going to be able to feed a massive crowd of people. Philip living by sight or by faith? Interesting, in this massive crowd, another disciple, Andrew, is on the scene, and and he looks up, and he has surveyed the crowd. He finds a little boy there and realizes, hey, there's a little boy here. He's got a sack lunch. And in that sack lunch, there are some bread and fish in that that sack lunch. And see, if, if Andrew would have said, hey, Jesus, I found this little boy here in the crowd. He's got a sack lunch. He's got some bread and fish. And put a period there, that would be great. But Andrew did what Philip did. He said, hey, I found this little boy. He's got a sack lunch. He's got bread and fish. But what did he say? Hey, that's not going to feed all these people either. He put a comma where there should have been a period. And so they're not living by faith. They're living by sight. Humanly speaking, they said we cannot feed this massive crowd of people. They did not look at it divinely. They looked at it humanly. I wonder how many of us in church life and the Christian life, God puts a need before us. He asks us a question because, again, the needs are massive. And he understands the needs. He wants us to see the needs. Do we have compassion on them? And how many of us are experts at giving excuses to say, Jesus, we don't have enough money to do that. Jesus, we don't have enough workers to do that. We've never done it that way before. You and I can become experts at giving excuses if we're not careful why we're living by sight and not by faith. In John chapter 6, Jesus asked two of his disciples a simple question. Where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? They didn't really answer the question. They just gave excuses. I just encourage us, make sure in life we're living by faith, not by sight. Now, let me give you number three. Give God what you possess. As I think about this statement, uh, we're to give him everything of our lives. 
Now, now we sing a lot of hymns in, in church in the Christian life. For example, I Surrender All, great hymn of the faith. Wherever he leads, I'll follow. Another great hymn. Take my life, Lord, and lead me. We sing that hymn as well. But the question I'd say as we sing these great invitational hymns, are we singing these hymns from the heart or are we just going through the motions? I surrender all. Do we sing that and say, I'm not going to surrender all. I'll surrender some, but not all. Wherever he leads, I'll follow. Well, maybe I will. It depends if it's comfortable or convenient for me. Then I'll follow. But do we come before him and just say, Lord, I do surrender all. And wherever you lead, I promise I'll follow. You give direction and I'll follow your leadership. John chapter 6. Number one, follow God. As you think about this story, this little boy got up that morning. And I would imagine the story would have been like this. He was going to go out for the day, and his mother, very caring mother, said, before you go out, you need something to eat today. You're going to get hungry, and I'm going to fix you a sack lunch, and I'm going to put some loaves of bread and some fish in there, so you're going to have something to eat later in the day. In any Jewish kitchen, there would have been bread and fish. It was a staple for them. And so this little boy is following and going along in life, and here's what happened. He found himself at the right place at the right time. He's around Jesus. He's around this massive number of people. And he's got a sack lunch. He's got some loaves and fish. He's at the right place at the right time. I promise if you'll surrender your all to Jesus and if you commit your life to follow him, he will lead you to be at the right place at the right time in your life. Now, I could share many stories with you, and that time's not going to allow to do that. But where God has allowed me to be at the right place at the right time, because I've surrendered my life to him, I'm committed to following him. I could say on airplanes, right place at the right time. On a golf course, right place at the right time. In a restaurant, right place at the right time. Why? Not because I knew what to do. God was leading me because I was committed to following him. And I was able to have gospel conversations and see lives change because I was committed to following God in life. He'll lead you to be at the right place at the right time. This little boy, this young lad, at the right place at the right time with a sack lunch. Number two, surrender all. As you and I look at this text, Jesus is again aware of this crowd. He knows their needs, they're hungry, and he has compassion on them. The disciple, given all these excuses why these needs can't be met, but this little boy is there. Andrew has found him. Here's a, here's a young boy in the crowd. He's got a sack lunch, got some loaves and fish, but what are they going to be with so many people? And I believe in this context. I don't believe Jesus forced this little boy to give him his lunch. I don't believe Jesus took his lunch. I believe this young boy surrendered his sack lunch to Jesus. I can imagine the conversation, Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, I see all of these people like you do. As Matthew would say, there, there are literally thousands here, 5,000 men, women and children in addition to that. Jesus, I don't have much. I've just got five loaves and two fish. But, but, but I'm willing to give them to you if you can use them to do something and minister to the needs of people. I believe that young lad surrendered his lunch to Jesus. Now, I want to ask you, as you're watching, your lunch, your sack lunch, what's in the bag that you need to surrender to Jesus in your life? What is it? Is it your life, 
you have never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You said one day I'll do that. But is it today? Maybe you need to surrender. Your sack lunch is your life. Turn from your sin. Trust Jesus to be your Savior. Do you need to surrender your lunch to Jesus today? Uh, Maybe you know Christ, but you've never been baptized. You've been delaying that. It's the day-to-day to say, Jesus, I surrender my lunch to you. I need to be obedient to you in baptism. I give this to you today. Maybe it's church affiliation. You've been coming to this church. You're watching us online. You, you love this church. You're fed at this church. You want to serve in this church. You want to grow in this church. Maybe your sack lunch is, Lord, I need to give my life to you, yes, but also to this church so I can grow as a disciple. I give that to you. Maybe God's calling you into ministry. We're focusing a lot on those who are called into ministry. You need to say yes. Maybe you put it off, put it off, put it off, procrastinated, delayed. But today, your sack lunch is a call of God in your life to serve him. You need to give your sack lunch to him. Jesus, today, here's what I have. Uh, Maybe there's private sin in your life. And you need to confess that to him. The Holy Spirit's convicting you about sin in your life. And you say today, Jesus, you know everything about my life. I've been concealing this and hiding this, but I need to come clean today. And I need to confess my sin to you and some other trusted people. Here's what I have, and I give that to you today. What do you need to surrender to Jesus today? Give it to him. Let me give you two words here. One, return thanks. Jesus, this little boy surrendered his lunch. The Bible says in this context, he, he asked the people, Jesus said, have the people sit down. He was asking them to recline. That's what that meant. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, Jesus returned thanks for the boy's lunch. I want to encourage you to have a thankful life. When you sit down at a meal, do you give thanks to God for it? When you think about all that God has done in your life with health and possessions and so many things he's blessed you with, do you give thanks to him for that? I just encourage you, make sure you live a thankful life. Here's what I know. If you and I will have a thankful life, then we won't complain about what we don't have or we won't be envious of what other people have. Let's just be thankful for who God is, what he's given us. Jesus returned thanks for the loaves and the fish. Return thanks. Look at the second two words, experience generosity. Interesting in this text is they were sitting down. He gave thanks. And then he said he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. That's a divine perspective, human perspective from the disciples. Lord, they wouldn't even really get a bite. We don't have much to give. But Jesus returned thanks to the boys' lunch and what? They ate all they wanted. That is a difference between a human perspective and a divine perspective. And then Jesus gave them instructions to say, now that the meal is over, I want you to gather all the fragments that are left and put them in baskets. And the Bible says here in John 6, they fill 12 basketfuls with the fragments that were left over. Two things happened that day in John chapter 6. All these baskets were filled with pieces that were left over. And it came from a boy's sack lunch. But also, all of those people who were following Jesus, whether it was out of curiosity to see a show, he saw their needs, he had compassion on them, and he fed them. The baskets were filled, but their stomachs were filled as well. And it happened. Why? Because a young boy, at the right place at the right time, had a sack lunch with loaves and fish. 
and said, Jesus, I don't have much to give, but what I do have, I give it to you. And he gave his lunch to Jesus. I want to ask you today, what do you need to give to him? There's some of you watching, you're empty in your life. You're doing everything you can to be filled. You're going to nightclubs. You're you're drinking stuff out of a bottle. It's relationship after relationship, and you're still empty. I promise you this. If you'll give your life to Jesus, he will fill you. He'll take that emptiness away from you. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And so I just encourage you, comment to us, email us, surrender your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, the world is not going to fill me. You will give your heart and life to Jesus. And comment to us and email us and let us help you follow Jesus in your life. But then I want to encourage you, those who are believers, what do you have? There are needs of people all around you and me. And if you and I will surrender what we have to Jesus, he will take that, give thanks for it, distribute to other people, and so many needs are going to be met because Jesus has power to do everything. Remember these two words, his power, his provision. He'll take what you give him and use that to minister to so many other people. Surrender everything. Wherever he leads you, follow. He will change your life and he will bless other people. He took a boy's lunch and fed thousands of people. He'll take your life and use you to make a difference in other people. Don't, don't miss being used of God as a child, as a student, as an adult. Surrender what you have to Jesus and watch him use you and change the lives of other people. So let's pray together today. Father, we thank you for the example of a young boy. Thank you there are no age limitations on being used of you. And God, I pray today for those who are watching that they will surrender their lives. They'll surrender everything that they have to you and you will not only fill them, but you'll use what they surrender to minister and bless so many other people. And God, we want to celebrate with that. So I just pray people will comment to us, email us, and that we can celebrate and give glory to you, God, because you can do things that we would have never imagined. A difficult situation is not difficult to you when we surrender everything to you. And so Father, we give you our sack lunches fill us and use us to touch the lives of other people and i pray this today in jesus name amen you comment to us you email us surrender your sack lunch to jesus and we'll celebrate how he's changing your life and how he's using you to bless other people let's continue to sing together